Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. At the start, it was a lot of it was was pretty much all of it was manual because a lot of the states didn't have a dashboard or anything or an automated sort of open data service. And I had to listen to the press conference to get the numbers. Today, it's sort of a combination. I think it's probably about 70, 80% automated now and the 20% is still manual. So it's difficult to do things like the tweets, automating some of the data from the tweets. And there's still a few stats that are only mentioned in the press conferences, but the rest, yeah, I have a bunch of scrapers that run in the background. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth. The team from Neon Treehouse are going from strength to strength, having moved to a new Adelaide City head office and have had some terrific write-ups in both B&T and Mumbrella recently. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Anthony McCarley. You might not have heard of Anthony's name before, so let me tell you a bit about the enormous social impact he is having. Anthony wasn't busy enough working at Census as reporting and governance manager, so in his spare time created the COVID Live website, which has become the most trusted and complete source of information on the COVID-19 pandemic in Australia. The site now boasts over 200,000 unique visitors each day. Anthony created the site because he realised the limitations of state COVID data released each day to the public and also the anxiety that this uncertainty causes. Did you know that state COVID figures in Victoria only report vaccinations in state-run facilities? The true number is often about double what is reported in the media and Anthony discovers discrepancies like this and many more by watching every state and federal press conference, reading press releases and using his automated data scraping bots to pull the latest data. With his website, he paints a far more complete and up-to-date picture of the true impact of COVID-19 in Australia, free from any form of political massaging. He includes important information like hospitalisation data, how severe COVID cases in hospital are, recoveries from COVID-19, tracking against state dosage targets, and up-to-date vaccination rates and even LGA-specific COVID data. His work is so good that he is helping state health departments to improve how they collect and report on COVID-19. Did I mention that Anthony got started on this work after building data scraping tools to help him get better at his fantasy Premier League team? There is much to learn from this conversation and the incredible role Anthony is playing in helping inform the public, improving government transparency, and getting us closer to an accurate and complete picture of the state and impact of COVID-19 in Australia. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony as much as I did. Anthony, welcome to the podcast, mate. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Mike. As I was saying, um, I'm a fan of your site, COVID Live. A bunch of my friends are huge fans of your site and trusted over the age and many other uh, websites and including the DHHS Twitter account. So congratulations on doing something uh, really fantastic for the community. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, before we get into it, I'd love to hear a bit about your journey and how does one a person such as yourself decide to start a COVID Live um, dashboard and what, what, kind of, what were you doing before and what's your journey been like leading up to this moment? Yeah, so um, my day job, I'm a reporting manager at, at Census at the Yellow Pages, and I've been there for 15 years. So I've always worked with sort of web applications and data my whole life. And pandemic hit last year, March 2020, uh, got sent to work from home like a lot of people and was concerned about what was happening. 
And I thought, all right, I want to try and search for the info myself. I thought, you know, such a big thing as this, you know, every case that was listed, you almost see like a rolling live feed as the data were coming in. And then what I found out, the reality was was quite different. There was the federal health website that was updating maybe once or twice a day, but it was it was on delay. It was three or four hours late. Um, and I thought this just wasn't good enough. What I discovered pretty quickly was the only way to get the most up-to-date stats was you had to tune into the press conferences from every state. So, you know, everyone, New South Wales, Vic, pretty much every state around the country were running their own show. Um, so I started tuning into them each day, capturing the stats and sort of just built up from there. That's absolutely fascinating. And why was it important for you to do this? What was your kind of motivation? Um, I just sort of, I wanted to demonstrate what I thought was the right way to report on this. And, and you know, this is such a big thing as a pandemic. Everyone was really worried. And searching for the you know basic data sets, which if you look overseas, was driving a lot of the re- the health response. I think this is sort of the first time where everyone could see the you know the sort of the real time impact of data and how it impacted the response, either restrictions or lockdowns or all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was really important, and it was just very difficult to get all the data, especially across the whole country in one spot. Every health department was running their own show because they're, they're responsible for it. But to see it all in, in just one place, there was nothing like that online. We were also missing the, the history and the context. So a lot of the dashboards out there, as soon as the day rolls over, yesterday's numbers are gone. So if you wanted to reflect back how many cases in a week or, or a month or what it did look like, you know, two months ago, you can't easily do that. So I thought it was important, you know, from just an archival perspective, make sure we capture that. So whenever we talk about the numbers each day, we've got some context to talk about. There was also a lot of data points. As, so I've always tried to track the narrative of, of COVID as we've gone through um, through the pandemics. At the start, you know, the, very much the focus was on cases. You know, I was one of the first to look for test numbers. But that wasn't really widely reported. And then, you know, we just kept sort of getting into deeper detail. So was it a local case, overseas case, um, things about source of infection where we talk about sort of unknown mystery cases, if they're linked or unlinked, and then really pushing a drive for transparency around data by postcode, LGA, so all of that localised data, which um, probably gave, it's it's the stuff the public are the most interested in, you know, seeing how many cases in my neighbourhood or exposure sites in my area. Um, but just also, I think it's the best way to sort of impact the health response too. You know, even today, you look at vaccination rates across the country, you know, some some areas are doing good, some aren't doing bad. And then we can sort of start a discussion about, you know, hold on, what's going on in this area that's, you know, they're handling the response so well versus the others. One of the things I found most interesting about your site, as opposed to what comes out of the, the Vic government um, dashboard each day, is that you look at things like hospitalizations due to COVID and also the acuity of those hospitalizations. So uh, are, are these people on ventilators? Are they in ICU? Are they just in the hospital more generally? But um, you also have a far more accurate read of the number of vaccinations that are happening um, in the state. So, I mean, to me, it's sort of a bit staggering why hospitalizations are not reported as part of the everyday um, coverage of a situation like this. And may, maybe that's sort of kind of 
gets at what you were saying before about the the health response is kind of very much um it's very much built on what you decide to focus on rather than what the whole story is yeah no, no i mean that's exactly right and and probably sort of the mainstream are a little bit behind what they should sort of be looking at so you know even now we're sort of at the current situation we're still not looking ahead of what or what a world might look like where you know once we hit those targets the 78 percent targets what will reporting on the pandemic look like? Yeah, the shift should absolutely just be on hospitalizations and, and people in intensive care because um, we're all going to accept that um, and we're slowly getting there is the Delta variants run its course and case numbers are going to keep increasing. But that that's not important. That probably shouldn't be the headline number anymore. So, you know, I know personally I've tried to do it on the site where, you know, I can bump and change where things are placed on the site and, you know, People in hospital are put up recently, same with vaccination rates. So, yeah, it's just, it's, I guess, everyone we sort of need to focus. But if you go to, you know, maybe states like Queensland and WA, they're still trying to keep case numbers to zero. So the case number is going to be the headline number. They haven't got any, anyone in hospital. But, you know, the way it's playing out in Vic and New South Wales, they should be, you know, the numbers we discuss every day. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And how do you make the time to do this, given that you work full-time at Census? Did you just start doing this late at night and then it just became a thing? Or how does it yeah. seem like this become what it is today? Yeah, so it's probably a lot of, a lot of long hours, to be honest. So um, being able to work from home helped flexibility-wise because, you know, I could fit things like, you know, the, the some of the press conferences where I needed to time out during the day, you know, maybe an hour or so, and I could catch up later on. So um and the other thing was probably being in lockdown. There just there wasn't a lot of other stuff you can do. So I was happy to sort of dedicate my spare time to the website. Yeah, fantastic. So you just squeeze it in. You must watch a hell of a lot of press conferences. How bored are you of hearing these premiers come out and just say absolutely nothing every day? Yeah, it's I've sort of switched off them now. I tried to maybe tune into the start to get any of the key numbers, and then I sort of log off. I know especially in Victoria, you used to have those marathon press conferences that go for an hour, an hour and a half, and it is too much. Um, I still think they're really useful for um, whenever there's sort of an announcement of restrictions or roadmaps or things like that. It's probably good to get insight, but I'm so grateful that I don't need to rely on the press conferences to key in the data now. Most states and territories have their own dashboard or have their tweets in the morning releasing the numbers, but for a long part, probably most of last year, the first place to get, say, the Victorian case number was via the press conference. We had to wait till 10, 11, 1, you know, it could be any time, 1 p.m. Um, and that was the only way to get the number until they published it on the website at like 3 or 4 o'clock. So I'm glad all the numbers and sort of the reporting is a lot better across the country. But, yeah, it's um, even now you can see the reaction when Gladys sort of announced they're going to stop doing the press conferences in New South Wales and, it's sort of, I don't know if it's sort of become a thing in Australia as, as, as part of our health response. It's sort of just this, this cultural way of passing on information. I think you could probably talk about that in a whole different session, but yeah. I think you could, and I just wonder what value do you ascribe to those press conferences having sat through so many of them? Could they could they just simply just be avoided by um, doing a short press release document or something? Oh, I mean, and they do that. They absolutely do. And you could get all the key details from that. I think being in lockdown, it's pro it's probably why there's still a, a large audience for that kind of thing. Once we start opening and people start doing, you know, some more normal stuff and there's no restrictions, I think we'll tune off. But uh, for now, they, they still have an audience and they'll probably still keep going.
And why do you think it's the case that the Vic government, for example, knows that they're only reporting um, state facility vaccination numbers, but they kind of represent that as what's happened in the entire state, which we know not to be true. And the gulf is sometimes as big as, you know, 40 or 50,000 additional vaccinations that are happening in, um, you know, allied health pharmacies and GPs. Yeah. So I hope it's not politics, but you got to wonder. So you know, the state state health department in charge of, of the state hubs and some hospitals, and then you have the federal health department in charge of sort of the primary care ne- network, which includes aged care, pharmacies, and, and things like that. So they've definitely, now they're sort of pushed it and promoting it a bit more, which is good, but they, they were just solely focused on hubs for, for quite a bit. Um, they, maybe they just don't hack access to to the numbers, the air, the um, Australian Immunisation Register, where all the numbers are, they probably don't have them that early in the morning. I know for um, trying just reporting on vaccinations at the start, the the state health departments were doing self-reported numbers, so there wasn't a key system doing that. So all the hub numbers, they probably would have sent an email during the day and say, hey, this is our dose number for the day. Um, Now it's all in a centralised system, but that switch only happened probably three or four weeks ago, to be honest. So you know, even the reporting, it's been quite a journey for, for vaccination stuff. So they're probably just the state hubs are sticking to what they manage and control, which is, yeah, the, the state health, the run hubs. The yeah, it's, hubs. it's interesting because you can't help but feel like you're not getting the whole picture. And particularly then when you go to your website, you're getting this enormous picture of everything that's going on. I wonder, um, do you have a heat map on the, on the site so you know where people are kind of spending most of their time? Um, I do. I do. So I'll, I'll track, I like, I track the stats and which, which pages are getting the most hits. And it's for, for a long time, I was Victoria, probably because of everything we went through during the second wave. Um, we were most in tune with the data. We had those first roadmaps and averages tied every day. So I think a large part of your audience was mainly Victoria. Now it's, it's the homepage in New South Wales and Victoria. I mean, people still check other stuff, which, you know, which is like vaccinations and stuff, which is fantastic, or the postcode stuff still very, very popular, uh, Victoria postcode data. But, yeah, the main ones is usually wherever there's the large outbreaks, that's what people are focused on. What do people tell you about the impact that the site's having on the community and themselves? Uh, I've had some really nice feedback Um Going back from the start, I had one quite recently, actually, which was which was really nice. Um, a lady who who emailed me saying pretty much just the website helps with her anxiety every day, and just and just dealing with you know a lot of people. Even though it doesn't matter how bad the numbers are, it gave them sort of a sense of control, and you know being able to get the numbers in a very simple and easy way, um, not having to rely on sort of the mainstream headlines or things like that. Um, and just people felt informed, maybe feels them a bit safe. I mean, the whole goal was so people could, you know, understand the, the numbers themselves and make decisions for themselves about how they want to approach everything. But yeah, there's definitely a, you know, a lot of people saying how I helped them through that, you know, sort of the Vic second wave. And it, it was it was a mess because we didn't know, you know, we'd wake up in the morning, the system's a bit better now, but even now, if if the tweet's 20 minutes late or 30 minutes late, people start to freak out. And say, oh, hey, totally. Uh, yeah. Happened to me this morning. Okay, yeah, there you go. And it's like, and I can see it on the site too when it happens. It's like, oh, the number's really bad. I don't know. So, yeah, just say, I guess having sort of a consistent place people can get the numbers they can rely on, um, you know, even just small things 
it, it, it definitely helped a lot of people and, and that feedback, you know, kept me going. A lot of people like healthcare workers too, um, sort of the best way to stay on top of things. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, I think a lot of it is the federation we have and we're very much in Victoria, you're focused on Vic and we don't really get an exposure of what's happening in New South Wales. So it's sort of just providing a service where you can see the whole country very easily in one picture um, helps a lot. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I, I know for myself, and this is kind of obsessive, but being a numbers person, um, there are a few times of the day that I get excited. The first moment is about eight fifty when when I get to see the, the the you know the Victor DHS tweet come out with the numbers. Yeah, then I tune in at about ten fifty five to get the Sydney numbers, and then it's lunchtime, and I just get I get really excited about lunch because there's not much else to get excited about at the moment, is there? No, there isn't. And yeah, I think a lot of people are in that pattern, and 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 like you were saying about the heat map on the site, that would align with I think with with what a lot of people are doing. You so how do you actually do it the site? I mean, are you using kind of uh, crawling bots to kind of collect all the data and uh, and fill the dashboards? Are you doing it manually? What's the what's the tech behind something like this? So uh, it's it's probably a combination of both. I mean, at the start, it was a lot of it was well, pretty much all of it was manual because a lot of the states didn't have a dashboard or anything or an automated sort of open data service, and I had to listen to the press conference to get the numbers. Today, it's sort of a combination. I think it's probably about 70, 80% automated now and the 20% is still manual. So it's difficult to do things like the tweets, automating some of the data from the tweets. And there's still a few stats that are only mentioned in the press conferences, but the rest, yeah, I have a bunch of scrapers that run in the background. I think there's about 17 scripts that run to, to ping the various dashboards. So things like LGAs and postcode, I can automatically feed in the site now. Um, the vaccination stuff, um, there's a guy named Ken Sang in New South Wales who's done the COVID-19 Near Me uh, website full of exposure sites. He's actually wrote in some, written some scripts where he converts the, so at the moment the federal government is still reporting vaccination data via PDFs, a PDF that gets released every day. Oh, how old school. Yeah, yeah. So he's written a script, thank, thank goodness for him, he's written a script that converts all that PDF data into Excel and I can feed that automatically in the site. I don't know if a few others are using that too, like in ABC and stuff like that. So um, he's helped automate a lot of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, still the small manual bits um, just so I can enter the numbers as soon as they come in. But a lot of the other background background stuff is automated, which is which has made it a lot easier. What are the things that you'd love to know about to put onto the dashboard that you don't quite have data points about yet? Ah, uh, interesting question. Um, I think just everything around lo more lo just more localized data would, would would help. So, you know, um, New South Wales has always been very good with releasing stuff by LGA and postcode since the start. I think we've just sort of we've just sort of in the last three weeks actually we've got LGA vaccination data, which is the most interesting thing because we can see in you know in real time there's outbreaks in these suburbs or LGAs and, and how the community is responding. And then, and what we're seeing from New South Wales and even Vic, they're responding really well, you know, eight, 10% jumps in vaccination rates over a week. So maybe the next step is, is going by postcode. Um, most of the stuff now, I think we've got most of the data sets not really waiting. Actually, there's something that we're missing that it's really important. We still haven't got a sort of normalized way of reporting on vaccination status. And that includes total cases, but mainly people in hospital, ICU, and deaths. Um, 
you, you get some mentions in the press conferences, but a few states are reporting in a different way. So Vic might do it every now and again. They'll say a percentage over total hospitalizations. New South Wales, as, as you know, they reel off a list. They'll say if they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. AC do some ACT do it sometimes. Um, I think if they, I wish there was sort of just a uniform format where all of them could report about the vaccination status because that's really the message you sort of need to drive to help promote um, on how well these vaccines are doing at the moment. And because it's sort of just they're not putting too much focus on it, it's getting a bit lost. So, yeah, anything around the vaccination status would be be really helpful. And what about stuff like um, getting to understand the mental health impacts of or what's being called the shadow pandemic? So do you sort of see the dashboard ever being a place to go to sort of find out things like, I know this data is probably hidden and quite hard to get, but how many emergency department admissions are we seeing due to mental health reasons and whatnot? So um, I, I'm always thinking about what the next step might be with the site, and I don't think I'm at that point yet, but um, there might only be a couple of months left where we keep talking about case numbers and things like that, and then I see that as a natural shift, which is measuring everything up, you know, all the other things that, that COVID impact had that was sort of neglected. So maybe not part of the COVID live or, or sort of a side part, but it's something I'm definitely interested in. Um, I just sort of got to sort of teach myself a bit, read, do some research and see what's out there and, and make sure I do it the right way. I wouldn't just want to throw numbers out there because we've got to be a bit careful, but it's, it's definitely something I'm interested in maybe after, you know, in a couple of months' time. So how, how do you think about things like, um, you know, reporting on deaths can be very politicised and a little bit controversial according to what your health beliefs are. So I noticed that um, New South Wales were, was probably the first state to say so-and-so died, they were unvaccinated. So just making it very clear that, you know, those who aren't vaccinated are dying. Um, but then they sort of made this shift recently in the past few weeks to talk about underlying health conditions um, as a way of distinguishing perhaps you know, people with comorbidities who, you know, might be more susceptible to COVID versus not. But that's controversial because I think about 40% of Australians live with uh, with an underlying health condition um, at any given point in time. So how do you, is that something that you deeply consider whether you add into the dashboard or you, you just, it's not as uh, salient for you? I remember early on in the pandemic, it was something that people were interested in just to see, you know, who was vulnerable to COVID. And there was a few stats about it, not a lot, but there's sort of a federal health report where they do like a weekly report. They used to talk about comorbidities. Um, I don't, I'm not sure it needs to maybe be mentioned every day unless they're trying to make a point, which is the vaccination status definitely, because you want to encourage people to get vaccinated because we know that they save, they save people's lives. So talking about if they vaccinated or not, I, I don't see that as an issue. But yeah, the comorbidity stuff... If they just sort of reported it somewhere that people could easily access, I think that would be enough. So if people wanted to go out and search for it, they could. I'm not sure they need to make it part of a press conference every day and put so much focus on it because I'm not sure how helpful that is. But, you know, I think every, everyone has a different view on it. Um, yeah, but I, I would just say if the raw data is somewhere that people can look up, I think that that would be enough. Yeah, fair enough. It's a very good point. Um, how anxious do you think Australians are generally about sort of the information gaps and not really knowing where things are heading with the pandemic? And I know we're all very much um, addicted to the numbers and the daily feeds, a lot of us, but, you know, how worried are people, do you think, 
at a baseline level just about where things are heading and what, what the state of COVID is each day? I think we're very, I'm still very worried. Yeah, very, very worried. Um, sort of this living with this uncertainty still. And um, that's why it's, so, it's been so great in the last month to have targets at least, even if they change. Um, but to have something we can look forward to, sort of a way out of all of this. But, um, I mean, New South Wales and Vic are going through some of the biggest outbreaks they, they ever have. And a lot of people are getting sick. So, yeah, I, we, we should still be worried about the impact Delta is having on the country just because COVID is, is, COVID is still here. But um, the uncertainty doesn't help. But for the first time in a while, we can sort of see an end to it. And even, even today, you know, New South Wales hit 80% first dose, which is an incredible achievement. So I'm hoping we can at least put some more focus on, on the way out and slowly these restrictions, they're going to ease. We're, get, we're going to get there, but the next month and a half are going to be really difficult. So we've got to just try and hang in. I know it's been a really long time for a lot of people and people are still anxious, but we're closer than we ever been to, to, to you know, some sort of normality after this. And this is going to go to where um, next Tuesday and it'll be two days after the, the big presser that Dan Andrews has uh, been promising for many weeks and months yeah. and hasn't delivered. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, two days before this goes to air. So what, what kind of preparation or, or thinking goes into planning for Sunday and uh, what ramifications that might have for your COVID um, dashboard reporting? Um, I don't think they're going to introduce any new targets or anything outside of the vaccination rates. So, I just try to capture, I just try, I try to be online when the, those announcements go out because just to get the roadmap and the new restrictions out to people are, are quite useful. I think we're sort of used to it now in Victoria because we've had so many circuit breakers and lockdowns. It's honestly just a template that they use and change certain things. So I don't, I don't see myself changing the site too much apart from continuing to focus on, on that vaccination rates and yeah, just hopefully sort of keep that countdown going of how long till we hit 70, 80% first dose, second dose. Do you have interest? So I'm sure you have many interests, but uh, I just wonder how interested you are in other areas where there are large data sets, but very poorly uh, reported data. So I'm thinking a bit about ABS data, road accident data, traffic data, education and training data. Um, we live in a data world. So I just wonder how much of that is kind of on your agenda for, for next stages of work. So we definitely discovered a niche with, with and not just myself, but a lot of the volunteers that did the COVID stuff during the pandemic where all, there's a trove of government data out there, but it's very hard to access or it's just, you know, difficult to read or not in a nice format. So I'm, I'm definitely keen to keep going with whatever project that might be. We talked about mental health, but, you know, even things around climate change or, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I've been fortunate enough to build a big following from all of this project, which has been really helpful for driving a lot of change, actually, you know, for pushing for more transparency and data. You know, people are listening a bit more than, than at the start. So I'm definitely interested yeah, I still love data. I haven't fallen out of love with data through this whole project. I still love data. So, you know, if I can think of something else that's that's useful and, you know, if there's another area where we can push for more transparency that's lacking and can sort of, you know, with the help of my following, you know, 
raise that raise the concerns about it yeah no i'm definitely looking at whatever data sets are out there yeah and how many people are visiting the site each day it's 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 going at a sort of a new peak at the moment and that's because what i talked about before i think the outbreaks are quite quite large it's close to 200,000 unique visitors a day Wow, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely massive. And to think this all started from you just trying to uh, maximize the potential of your fantasy football side. Yes, yes. So that's, I mean, that's how I learned the scrape data. Um, so I, ca- I can't complain about that. But um, what were you playing? Was it Supercoach? Uh, yeah, so Dream Team Supercoach. So actually, a lot of the layouts were just having lots of data tables sort of inspired by going through, you know, footy player profiles and what their history was. So I can probably thank a lot of the layouts and definitely learning how to scrape data, but just how to present some of the basic stats data. Yeah, probably a lot of the Supercoach Dream Team stuff I used to work on. How helpful was it for you? Did you were you quite successful? Uh, I, I I was up and down, <laughs> up and down. Sometimes you can overanalyze stuff. Um, I did use my skills to sort of build a draft program that that I that I think is quite cool, where you get the last three years of averages and sort of lay it out in a nice way, but um no it's all of it is learning so it's good and these data sets that that we're working with even the COVID or the footy ones they're not huge you know these are these are thousands of records it's not or even hundreds it's not like a crazy sort of a bank database or, or you know airline database where you have millions of transactions so that probably gives you a bit more flexibility with the work but um no i i I still now my i'm very much on fantasy premier league so that's my me too yeah yeah so um, not as much footy anymore, but yeah, love. I've I created actually a little side website where me and my mates do a draft because you have the official site with the budget, but we created a draft league. Um, Can I join your league? Uh, we, maybe we'll talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a probably not. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, that's fantastic. And we should talk Premier League uh, yeah. after this conversation. Um, I'm a uh, diehard Spurs fan and uh, okay. perennially disappointed. So uh, we can get to that later. Um, how important is a project like this for democracy? Because this is all about transparency. And I think transparency in any form is strengthening democracy. So I'm just curious how you think about it. I, when I started this, I never imagined I could have sort of impact the health response like I, like I did. But, um, you know, through the website, we were able to push for things like getting the Victorian tweet out in the morning, you know, not having to rely on the press conference for data, getting the Victorian postcode data out. You know, we, the, we had a time in June last year where we had postcodes getting locked down and we didn't know how many cases were in any of those postcodes but the government was saying we're locking down these postcodes. And then that, that just infuriated me. So, you know, with, with the help with some journalists, you know, we were able to get that data. And then even now with the most recent stuff is the federal health vaccination data. It took four months to get, to work out how many second doses were going out each day, and which is just, which is just ridiculous. We were one of very few countries in the, the world that weren't reporting on that. Um, Eventually we got that, you know, now we've got the LGA data, which is fantastic. You know, I've got some people I can speak to in the department if we need help. You know, it took a while, but I think through all of this project, it really highlighted just the power of data, but the public are actually really interested in this kind of data. And if you teach them the context, you spend time to explain it, you know, they pick it up pretty quick. So, yeah, I've, 
really grateful for sort of impacts, you know, even a very small part of the pandemic, but the impact, the sort of the data response part, um, yeah, just sort of put it, put it in a sort of in, in light and it's been great to see some from change. And I got to thank the Victorian Health Department because I have been hard on them in the past and I've pushed them really hard, but they've been really responsive and I've had great feedback from them too. So um, they're, they've always, we've come such a long way from, from last year, contact tracing, QR codes, um, the exposure site listings, you know, and from what we have now in the dashboard and, you know, going down to 10 cases, three linked, seven were infectious in the community for this many days. Like I don't think anywhere in the world would have this kind of COVID data that they're reporting each day. And I think we all of us sort of a part of that. So I, I think it's fantastic how far we've come in that space. Yeah, that's really important. I, th- I think you're really doing a great job to hold them to account and also helping them be better at what they do. Um, have you had many requests from researchers yet or do you anticipate that you will? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's this is going to, this whole situation is going to create a complete research boom. Um, you know, you've almost got a perfect natural experiment um, comparing the policy responses of Sydney and um, Victoria, New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, have you had requests come through from academics, authors or other institutions yet? I have a couple every now and again. And, you know, I'm happy to supply the full data set to, to people. Um, some of the new ones, actually, and, and it's a bit of work we did recently. I've been working with the team behind COVID bases, another website, which is around lockdowns and trying to capture all the dates and the levels of restrictions. So I think, again, talking about the mental health that you mentioned earlier, I think that's going to be a big part of research, which is uh, here. here's all the lockdowns that happened in the last two years. Here's all the case data and relevant. And then, and then have a look and, and find out, you know, was every part of the response the right part? And even now we're still seeing things like, you know, should we have a curfew or not? Should playgrounds close or not? We're still having this debate now, but, um, yeah. No, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to, and I mentioned it earlier about archive and having the history, you know, the full data set all the way back to March and extra data sets such as, you know, hotel quarantine breaches, which sort of a little bit outside the site, but I was trying to capture all of that to understand our hotel quarantine system and where the leaks were coming from. And yeah, just recently trying to keep track of all the lockdowns across the country, um, what the level of restrictions were, you know, if schools were closed, the works, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, just the dates and and that's hard because that changes still, every, you know, every day, but um, yeah. Oh, I, I can't! That, I can't wait to see that evolution. That's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I mean, I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, but are you the main source for COVID information today? I mean, across you know, people must be going to various newspapers or whatnot and online sites. Um, yeah. How do you, do you know how you rank or compare to them? Um. I'd, I'd be up there. Yeah, I'd, I'd be up there. So I know I know a few of the major media outlets are running their own and stuff, but they probably cross check my stuff i know a lot of the uh television news networks check check my data the guardian's using a feed of mine international wise i'm i'm feeding data too so anything you see on google or facebook that's coming from covid live sort of indirectly via johns hopkins university or, or our world and data so probably a large majority um, would be using it as a source i mean there's still other websites out there so uh, juliet who runs covid19 data.com.au she was one of the first to ever report on, on the pandemic in Australia and probably actually an inspiration for me when I was looking around. 
for data. She's doing she's still doing very um, she's doing excellent work. A lot of charts and and things like that. I stick to data tables, but she's got really good charts, especially comparing the outbreaks across the country too. Um, she's probably another a big source, but yeah, maybe yeah, COVID Live, ABC, the Age. There's there's probably not too many outside of that. It's amazing. And so, I mean, you get to the thorny space like you talked about before with some of the interventions like curfew and lockdown and uh, the the playground restrictions and whatnot. Do you kind of, I mean, there's very little research or evaluations done on the effectiveness of these interventions. Do you kind of see this as being um, a segue to helping kind of give some real-time feedback on whether these things are working? Uh, it's it's very it's very hard to, to comment on that. I mean, you know, it's always said, you know, this is the, the public health guidance. So I'm not sure what internal measuring they're doing. They obviously have a lot more context to to the data than we have. We, we just focus on the high level case numbers, but they would understand outbreak by outbreak. You know what the source was and how it spread. You know, you know either at a cafe or between households or at work. They're the, they're the the only ones that would have a true grasp of of all the context of all the cases. And I think you need that real fine detail to sort of link it to, uh, you know, curfew would have stopped this or a playground would have stopped this. So I don't think we have exposure at, 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 of that data sort of to, to confidently talk about this restrictions working or not. We might be able to get to the point where we can say, well, the vaccinations are having an impact. I think we have enough data to start assessing that where, you know, you look at an LGA and you look at the case numbers starting to go down, go down especially some of the those LGAs of concern in New South Wales. We can, we can see that playing out. So from that perspective, yes, but for sort of fine-tuning those um, restrictions, I don't think we have the data to, to prove or disprove. Let me ask you for a bit of a uh, – it's always risky to ask people for a prognosis in the, in the data field, but um, – the Delta outbreak in Victoria, I think the case numbers have been steadily climbing. It hit about 450 today. What do you see happening there? Where, where does it kind of peak and when do you think we'll be? Is, is it, I mean, obviously zero is not, not really in the conversation anymore, but when do we sort of see this levelling out and at what point? Um. So, yeah, so the, the biggest, so the numbers have sort of been stable the last three days, which is surprising. We're sort of stank, stuck around the 400s. I think the, the biggest worry with those numbers that I, I look at every day is our testing is sort of hasn't really increased. In in the peak, New South Wales are getting over 100,000 tests a day and we're sort of hovering around 40, 50,000. So I'm worried there's a few more cases out there we're not picking up. And then obviously there's a lot more of unlinked cases each day. And I think there was like a sort of 170 or something that are linked today. today. Still a lot of unlinked cases. So... While those metrics, while testing still relatively low and unlinked continues, I think the numbers will keep going up. Where it stops, I'm not sure. We're fortunate in, in the perspective where um, when New South Wales had these numbers about four or five weeks ago, their vaccination rates were about 50%. And I think we've we've hit 70, 70% now. So we've got about a 20% head start with the vac vaccination. So I think that's definitely going to help us going forward. And, you know, we've we've done really good in the last couple of weeks to push vaccinations in, in Victoria. Yeah. I'm not in sort of an epidemiologist and I want to sort of guess, you know, hey, we're going to stop at 1,500 and it's going to drop down. Even the experts trying to predict the numbers are struggling to get it right. 
Um, I think that's a wise response. I'm actually yeah. quite glad you didn't answer the question. <laughs> um, have we hit our peak? And they, I think they even said it today. No. So we can we can inspect cases to increase maybe until the end of the month. But yeah, I, I, honestly, I'm I'm not sure. I'm 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 holding on. I'm hoping that our vax rates are much higher than what Sydney was. That's going to help us um, going forward. But yeah, there's still a lot of unlinked cases, and and we need to improve our testing rates. Yeah, fantastic. Look, this has been just a, a gem of a conversation for me. If people want to connect with you and learn more about your work um, or they just want some fantasy Premier League advice, how can they uh, reach you? Uh, probably the best is on Twitter. So you can reach me. It's MIGA, M-I-G-G-A. Um, you can ping me, message, whatever. I, I respond to most stuff. Or people can send me an, an email, uh, contact at covidlive.com.au. Fantastic. We'll just hang on for a second. We'll have a quick debrief, but thanks so much for joining me today. No worries, Mike. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.